the main thing, you know, we want to try and do with that team thing is to get our teams together on a regular basis so that we can kind of find out what God is doing, that we can join with him in it, and that we can prepare in the different areas that we're in. So we want to encourage if you're on a team to be a part of that. But um, listen, it should be fun out there, even though it's going to be a bit cold. Bring your own fire pit, I guess, you know, this afternoon. We should have a good time, but uh, I, I know I'm looking for it. How are you guys doing this morning? Doing okay? Yeah? Made it through the snow, obviously, right? Made it through the ice. I think the flood's coming next, maybe, right? You know, a lot of times we ask that question, how you doing, right? And we kind of treat it like it's like somebody's saying hello. How you doing? Good. You? Great. Yeah, okay, bye, right? But I mean, think about that question. How am I doing? If you really thought about that question every time that somebody asked it, that could be a really kind of formative moment in your life, couldn't it? How are you doing? Hmm, how am I doing? What, what is going on in my life? You know, there are a few things in this world as powerful as a, a question, a well-placed question, right? Comes in at the right time, makes you rethink everything, makes you reframe maybe how you saw your life or saw the world at that moment. Our God is a God, is a master of the well-framed question, isn't he? And the well-placed question. Think about it. This, this book, this story of God regularly is punctuated with these questions that come up. Adam, where are you? Oof. Right? Cain, where's your brother? Moses, what's that in your hand? Elijah, what are you doing here? Ezekiel, can these bones ever live again. Job, where were you when I was laying the foundation of the world? Isaiah, whom then shall I send? Right? Well-placed questions. If you know those stories, you know that each of those questions came at a, just that turning point in the life story of that person because that's how God uses these questions. He changes everything. Powerful questions that transform Everything about how we see the world, how we see our lives, how we see the God who's speaking to us. And he does that in our lives as well. Amen. Today we're going to look at a question that Jesus once asked one of his disciples. Jesus was also a master of that well-placed question. We're going to look at a question that he asked one of his disciples, but it's a question that I think that he asked each one of us. He asked each one of us, so that we might have that moment with him to just examine, to think about what is it that God might be saying to me right now. Let's stand together as we look at this, this passage in scripture, this story, tells about Jesus in this interaction. And let's, as we stand, prepare your hearts, get your hearts ready to hear that question, hear Jesus speaking to you, and prepare your heart for how you might he might be asking you to respond. It's in John 21. It's in verses 15 through 17. This is after the resurrection. And Jesus is by the seashore with some of his disciples. It says, after breakfast, Jesus asked Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus said to him, tend to my lambs. Then he asked him a second time again, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter answered, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. So Jesus told him, shepherd my sheep. Then Jesus asked a third time, he said, Simon, son of John, 
do you love me? Now, Peter was grieved because of the way that he asked him a third time, do you love me? And he answered, Lord, you know all things. You know that I love you. So Jesus told him, tend to my sheep. You know, it probably seemed like a pretty simple question. In fact, when you read that story, it seems like he answers like it was a simple question. Do you love me? Yeah, Lord, you know I love you. And how many times does Jesus ask us that? Do you love me? Yeah, you know I love you. Seems like a pretty simple question. But as he pushed in, what he found was that answer was really important. It was one of those moments that was going to change his life. And today's message, we're going to find that it's an answer that changes our lives as well. It's that moment that Jesus asked us, do you love me? Today we're going to finish up that middle section of the series that we're in about what does it mean to be a compassionate, we've been looking at what it means to be a compassionate Christian community. And so this morning, this sermon, this message is titled, Christian, Our First Love. Father, this morning, uh, we want to have our hearts open to you. We want to hear the questions that you ask us. We want to hear your voice clearly and not have it cluttered or clouded, uh, not have it um, distorted, not be distracted, not be um, just kind of have it muted by all the things that sometimes go on in our minds and in our hearts. So Holy Spirit, we want to ask that you would come and that you would um, purify our focus that it would be like a laser beam, that, that we would hear your voice and your voice only above everything else. And not just a little bit, but that everything else would be muted. Everything else would be quieted in our hearts and in our minds as you speak your word to us, as you really challenge us of what does it mean to have Jesus as the one who we love. Pray it in his name. Amen. You can be seated. You know, in chapters two and three of the last book of the Bible, now if you know that the Bible, the last book of the Bible is the book of Revelation. Book of Revelation is the favorite book among, if you've ever done youth ministry, especially junior high boys, they always want to have that Bible study. Tell me what's going to happen at the end of the world. What does all this mean? Right? There's dragons and there's locusts that have scorpion tail. I mean, there's all kinds of crazy stuff. So favorite among them. But in chapters two and three, fairly mundane part of the book, Jesus is writing letters to seven key churches in the first century. Now, most of us don't get letters anymore, right? We don't get letters, definitely not as much as we used to. I remember when I was growing up every year at summer camp, you'd go there and every single day they'd have mail call. Did any of you guys go to camp and have that time of mail call, right? Every day they'd have mail call and everybody in the room was just hoping that their name was gonna be called. Because what that meant was that somebody out there, usually mom and dad, but somebody out there remembered that you were here, that you were in this far off place, far off from anything else, anybody that knew you or loved you and they had remembered you and they were gonna write you a letter or better yet, they were gonna send you a box of cookies, right? So everybody, that mail call, because mail was a common part of our lives. Today we get excessive emails, we get texts, we get, we get uh, Snapchats, we might get TikToks. All of them, they're fairly quick. When you throw them together, you don't think about it much. Unlike a letter, it takes a lot of time and a lot of effort, a lot of thought to complete. And because of that, we don't think of how important, how valued, how cherished these letters were. You know, um, 
my mom has a whole stack of these binders, these three ring binders that she keeps and in them regularly, punctuating all the, the memories and the pictures and the cards are these letters that came from my dad. He might be on a trip and he'd write her a letter. He, when he was stationed in the army, he wrote her a letter. And she kept them, why? Because they're cherished, they're valued. We know how much was put into them and how much they were meant to mean. And so, even more so in the first century. First century, they didn't have a postal service. So if you had a letter you wanted carried, you had to get a personal courier that would take it upon themselves, risk their own life and limb to get this letter wherever it needed to go. And you would send that message, that letter, over land or sea. The ability to write or the ability to read was not just a given in that day. So even the ability to receive a letter and to have someone read what was in it, the contents of it, and even the paper that was written on was expensive and rare. So letters in the first century were even more valued. So to think that Jesus would take time to write letters to his churches when his churches heard these letters, it came across as this. We need to listen to this. This is important. This is worth cherishing and keeping and valuing and treasuring, not just for now, but for all of time. And so in the first letter, Jesus is writing to the church in the city of Ephesus, and he tells them that he is proud of their perseverance in the faith. He is proud of how, they have, how hard they have worked and toiled for the sake of the gospel. He is proud of the, the works that they are known for throughout the known world. But then he says this in Revelation 2.4. He says, but I have this one thing against you. You've left your first love. You've left your first love. And it's like that changes everything. You know, when we hear that phrase, first love, what, what comes to mind? First love, right? You think, oh, yeah, I remember my first love back in elementary school, <laughs> right? Or you think, you think, oh, yeah, first love. I saw, you know, there's this teen flick on the other night. It was about, you know, first love. It was, but that's not what Jesus is talking about. He's not talking about that first, like, chronological love, He's talking about first love, like what's the most important love that you have in your life? What is the first and foremost thing that takes precedence over everything? And he says, you've left it, it used to be me. He says, Do you, am I your first love? That's the question he's really getting at with Peter in that story that we read. Peter, am I your first and foremost? Am I the, the love of your life that takes everything else, pales in comparison with your love, your commitment, your loyalty, your, your devotion, your, your love compelling towards me? You know, another word that messes us up in that, in that question and causes some confusion is just that word love, because in English, love means a whole bunch of stuff. It carries, it covers an immense territory, doesn't it? I love my dog, I love steak, I love my wife, I love a long walk, I love like a warm hot tub on a snowy night after you've gone skiing. I love those things. You know what, I read, <laughs> while I was preparing this, I read a sentence that says, you know what, mold loves? Mold loves a cold, dark, no, a warm, dark, damp space. That's what mold loves. Mold loves, so mold loves, I love, I love steak and my wife. That's a pretty broad territory. Right? And so we're a little confused. You know, the Greeks, they said that that is confusing. So we need to get a little bit more particular. They actually had four different words. And in this passage, they used two very specific words about what love means. Because they thought, you know, if we're going to talk about love, 
and not be confused. If we're gonna understand what we're talking about when we talk about love, we better be specific. We better be careful to differentiate between the many things that we might call love. So when Jesus asked Peter three times, he says, do you love me? And it says that Peter was grieved at the end because of the way that he asked the third time. It wasn't just because he asked him third time, three times. Now that, that would hit you kind of hard, wouldn't it? If somebody said, hey, do you love me? And you say, yeah, I love you. And they say, yeah, but do you love me? Yeah, I love you. Yeah, but do you love me? Oh, ow, right? And the third time, it's like, what are, you, what are you saying? But it wasn't just that. John actually brings out this kind of deeper intent that's in this conversation, and he does it through these words that he uses. He says that Jesus, first he asked Peter, he said, Peter, do you love me? And he uses this one word for love, agape. Now, some of you guys have heard of the word agape. What it means is, do you love me more than these? And in fact, John draws it out. Do you love me more than these? Do you love me more than all of these around you? Do you love me kind of above all all other things? Do you put me in front of everything? Am I your first love? That's what he's asking him. Peter answers Jesus. He says, Jesus, you know that I love you, but he uses the word phileo, which is the word for love of a friend, love of a brother, love of a companion, right? This is the word that we get Philadelphia from, phileo, and adelphos. Adelphos means brother. Phileo means this kind of brotherly love, okay? So Jesus says, am I the first and foremost? He says, Lord, you know, you know you're, I, I love you like a friend. And then, and then he says, Peter, do you agape? Do you love me? Am I your first and foremost? And Peter, again, he says, Lord, again, you know that I, I love you. I love you like a friend. I love you like a companion. And then Jesus, the third time, he says, Peter, do you even love me? And he changes the word here. He says, Peter, do you even phileo me? Do you even Love me like a brother, like a friend, like a companion. And that grieves Peter because all of a sudden he's forced to go back and he's forced to realize, you know, does a friend leave another friend when they're in their darkest moment? Does a friend deny that they even know this other person when they're in their, their worst time? When, when a friend asks you to stay up all night because they're in this excruciating, painful time, the worst time of their lives is at the time that you decide to fall asleep on a friend and Peter's forced to say, you know, do I even love him like a friend? Do I even give him the time and the loyalty and the, the attention that I would even a companion? It's that well-placed question again. And we have to ask ourselves, how would we answer those same, those same two questions? You know, do I agape God? Do I agape Love Jesus? Do I put him first above everything? Is he first and foremost in my life? Do I even love Jesus like I love my friends, like I do my brothers and sisters, do I, like I do a companion who walks with me? Do I pay attention? Do I, do I engage in conversation? Do I give time and, and, and just focus to him? Do I even love him like a friend. Say, do I even, I don't even know, I don't know that I know what it means to love him. Well, thankfully, Jesus doesn't leave us in the dark, right? He tells us. He tells us this is what loving me looks like. So in John 14, 15, he says, you know what, if you love me, you'll keep my commandments. 
So loving Jesus, there's something about loving Jesus, a part of it that's about how we follow his ways, right? We follow him and we, we keep the commandments to love God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. We keep his commandment to love others as we do ourselves. We keep his commandments. There's something about loving Jesus is about following his ways. We give him all that we have, our time, our attention, our focus, our wealth, our, our, our talents, our abilities, everything. A few verses later in John 14, 23, he says, if you love me, you will keep the word that I've spoken to you. And then in 24, he says, this word is not just mine, it's also, it's my father's word that I've spoken to you. So loving Jesus is also about anchoring in his word. So keeping his ways, anchoring in his word, we talked about that a couple of weeks ago. We talked about, do we, do we hold the story which God has given to us? Is that the one that we build our lives on? Is that the story that we anchor our lives to instead of the stories that we might hear out there in this world we live in or the story that we might make up in our own head about what we think things should be or could be like? Do we ask questions like, what does God say about forgiving others? What does God say about wealth and generosity? What does God say about personal ambition and jealousy? What does God say about science or medicine? What does God say about sexuality or race or justice? Do we know the answer to those questions? Or do we maybe just think we know the answers to those questions? Because loving Jesus, he doesn't say loving Jesus is not just about it's not just about holding to what we think we know. Loving Jesus is about anchoring to the word that he spoke, the story that he told, the framework that he gave us. You know, I keep going back and I keep, <laughs> if there's one thing I hope to give to you is how important this word is. It's not just a book. It's not just a compilation of the best of human history. It's not just our best thoughts about God. This is God somehow came in through human, through human just using normal people like us. And this is, there's a grace in this. Through using normal people like us, he conveyed to us his word. He says, anchor to that. Anchor to my word, walk in my ways. That's what it means to love Jesus. In other places, he talks about abide in him like a, a branch abides in the vine. Follow after him like a disciple follows after a teacher. So do we love him in that way? Do we love him in the way that he defines what loving is? That's the first question, the first part of this question that he's asking Peter and that he's asking us this morning. Do we love him the way that he defines what loving is? So do we obey his word? Do we obey his, his ways, walk in his ways? Do we anchor to his word? That's what keeping Jesus as our first love means. Second part that Jesus is bringing up when he asks this question, he asks Peter, do you love, not just anybody, do you love me? I don't know if you guys know it, but there's a lot of Jesuses out there. Right? There's a lot of Jesuses out there in people's heads and in people's minds and in different literature and different kinds of stories. There's a, there's a Jesus out there that's always for whatever I want to do. Do 
You know that Jesus? There's, there's a Jesus out there that some people will say he is out there. He's warm and cuddly, wouldn't hurt a fly. There's another Jesus out there that they say is vindictive and, and just mean-spirited. And he just the thing he wants to do is just beat the tar out of every one of us. There's a Jesus out there that, that, that is just like me, Right? In fact, he's, he's all about me and he's, all, he's against anyone who's not just like me. I, I, I wanna mention this because I think I have to. I don't know if you've seen these pictures of this Jesus that's out there, but have you ever seen the Jesus with the long flowing blonde hair and the blue eyes? Those are very odd traits for a man who grew up in Israel, aren't they? Where did that Jesus come from? But he's out there. There's a Jesus who is, Known to some and say, you know what? He was a really good man and that's all he was. There's a Jesus out there who's a spiritual guru who's up among the greats. I mean, he sits up there kind of next to Buddha and next to Muhammad and next to Krishna as some of the great gurus of all time. But when Jesus asks this question, he says, you know what? Do you love me? Not just the me of someone else's story, but the me, the me who came and lived in real history. The me who, who came and who revealed, it was revealed through, through this word, through the word of God, the word of God that became flesh. Do you, do you, do you love me? The Jesus who's, who's gracious and forgiving, but he's also tough and demanding, demanding of repentance. Demanding of turning, demanding of transformation for, from us. Do, do we believe in Jesus who is who's giving and providing, but also relentless and exacting in the way that he asks us to love others? Do we believe in that Jesus? Jesus who's our savior and our judge, who's the lion and the lamb, who's the sacrifice and the ruling king, that Jesus. Do we believe in him and do we love him, this, the Jesus who is our friend but also our Lord? He says, do you love me? You know, loving Jesus is not a matter of coming up with a Jesus that we feel like we can love. Loving Jesus is not a matter of coming up with a Jesus that we think we can love. Loving Jesus is having really the spiritual courage to sit and look and just keep our eyes fixed on the Jesus who is and being willing to say, I will, I will watch until, <laughs> until all of my best opinions and my best ideas and all the, my best thoughts and all the things that are my likes and my dislikes and all of that just falls away and all that I'm left with is just him that everything else is transformed into his likeness. That's what loving Jesus is. And there's one more part of this because I wouldn't be telling you the whole story. It's probably the most important part. Loving Jesus is where we have the courage to sit and just, just fix our eyes on not just his ways, not just his word, but the work, the work that he did the work that he did out of his incredible, immense, incomprehensible love for me, for you.
right? And we let it just overwhelm us. To look at the Jesus that said, you know what, I will lay down all rights and privileges as the son of God sitting in heaven, ruling over all creation. I will lay that aside and I will come and live in the worst of situations, die the worst possible death. If that's what it takes to free you from the brokenness and the bondage and the, just the, the, the chaos and confusion of this world. If that's what it takes, that's what I'll do. And to just let that just pour over us. Do you know why I am willing to obey and walk in the ways of Jesus? Because I've seen what he did for me. I know I can trust him because of what he did, the work that he did for me. Do you know why I know I can trust the story that he tells? Because of what he did in order to bring me into that story. He says, do you see that? Has anyone else ever loved me like him? Has anyone ever given what he gave in order that I might know, that I might gain things that were out of my reach, the very riches, the very blessing, the the grace of heaven? Has anybody ever loved me like that? Out of that love, he says, that you might walk in my ways, that you might cling to my story. Do we, do we love him? In 1 John, it says, you know what? We love him because he loved us. And that love overwhelms us. He says, that's what it means to love me as your first love. All of that was wrapped up in that question that he asked Peter. All of that's wrapped up in that question that he asked, the same question that he asked each one of us. Jesus calls us into that space where we have that one-on-one encounter where he asks that well-placed question. It comes in this very personal way where he asks that question that sometimes it comes three different times, sometimes it comes with two different words for love, whatever it takes, but he just says, he says, do you love me? Do you love me as your first and foremost? Am I your first love? When we come to this table of communion, that's what we encounter, isn't it? That's what we look at. When we come to communion and, and Jesus calls us this place, it's not just to go through this, this religious exercise. It really is so that we can encounter him and he can ask us again that question, do you, do you love me? Do you remember my ways? Do you remember my word? Do you remember my work that I did on your behalf? What do we, what do, challenges us? Sometimes we come to this table, right? And we, we come to that encounter with Jesus and sometimes I, I realize that I'm holding on to this belief and I don't know where it came from. Maybe it came from somebody that thought that they knew what they were talking about and they just gave me their best thought and I thought, hey, that sounds good. And I started building my life around it but it has nothing to do with anything Jesus says, has said or anything that he stood for, anything that he lived for or died for, and I hang on to it. Or it may be that I came up with it out of my own thoughts, but I come and I come to this table and I realize, you know what, I'm holding beliefs that get in the way of holding to the ways and the word and the work of Jesus. Sometimes there's a relationship that I have in my life and I come to this table and I realize there's something I'm holding on to holding on to a relationship that that doesn't honor Jesus, doesn't honor anything that he was or anything that he spoke, anything that he taught. Now, 
In our world, we're told and we love to believe that one, either God is all for anything we wanna do. Okay, that's one belief. There's another belief that says, well, I don't think God has any, um, he doesn't care about, or maybe he has no business messing with my, with my life, my relationships, the way that I wanna live, the way that I wanna relate to other people. And we can, we can believe that, but I, you don't have to read very far in this book to realize that God has all kinds of stuff to say about how we live, and especially how we relate to others because he has set up this world to work best in certain ways, in certain ways that we love each other and we care for each other and that we don't hold grudges against each other. And there are certain things he has says that you need to know, otherwise you're going to break more. You're going to cause more chaos, more pain, more brokenness. And sometimes we come to this table and we realize we're holding on to a relationship in a certain way that's just is destructive he says, okay, but do you love me? Will you follow my ways? Will you hold on to my word? Will you realize my work for you? Sometimes we come and we, we know that God's calling me. And I want you guys to hear this because sometimes we realize that God is calling us to do something, to invest our time, our efforts, our energy into something that he is about He's calling us into a ministry or a place of serving others. He's calling us to come alongside another life, just to come alongside and to comfort or encourage or to, to just bless them. Or maybe he's calling us to invest our time or our money in, in a sacrificial way into some ministry or some some. Um, some cause that, that is doing good in this world, or maybe he's calling us and he's saying, you know what, I want you to not just be pursuing that career you're in, as great and fulfilling as it is, but I want you to pursue that career that I have, that calling that I have for you. We come to this table, say, I don't think I'm ready. He says, do you love me? Do you trust me? Will you walk with me? Will you anchor to my story instead of your own? First love means letting God have all our heart, all our soul, all our mind, all our strength, all that we have, right? First love means putting into place habits that will draw us deeper into understanding. You guys, I, I keep encouraging you to, to get into God's word. We, we, need to, we need to dig into it so that we can understand it. If we don't understand it, if we don't know the story, how can we hold to the story? If we don't know what God has called us to, how can, we, how can we follow after what he's called us to? He says, it's all right here. It starts here. It's, it's in his word as his spirit opens it up and reveals it to us as he draws us into us and as we're tugged by him. Putting into place those habits so that we might know his words, his ways, his work. First love means obeying when it's hard changing when we know we're out of line with what God, his purposes and his intentions, giving us spirit room to lead us and to transform us, permission to change us. When we come to the table, that's what we're facing, isn't it? And you guys, even when we're not, we don't have bread and we don't have juice in our hands, do you realize that this table, this is the communion that's in our lives every single day? When we wake up in the morning and we see Jesus, he's there like this. He's saying, do you love me? Do you love me? Will you follow me? Do you know how much I've loved you? Do you trust me? 
What can we do with this this week? I want you to think about some things. They're the normal things that we talk about, but I want you to think about them in this context of loving Jesus. Am I willing this week, starting this week and continue, making a habit of this, to take time, make time, to both not just talk to God about what's on my heart, but to listen, to hear what's on his in this this transforming conversation that we call prayer. Do you you know what a privilege it is to, to know that not only is God in heaven and he hears us, but that he actually speaks to us as a friend as well? Do you know that? Do we take time to walk in that conversation? Am I willing this week to take time, make time, to get into his word? To find out those things that are written down, those things that he, is, that he says we can anchor to and we should anchor to so that we might know his ways, his, his word, his story. That we might know more about his work and his love that he has for us. Another one I want us to think about, am I willing this week and every week to make sure that I always take time to be with his people? Why? Why with his people? Because with his people, we gather in his presence. And we share those stories and we encourage one another in those things that he's called us to. I can tell you my ways of, uh, I can tell you the ways that it's hard for me to walk in his ways. I can share with that. And and you might be able to encourage me. You might be able to give me something or to pray for me or come along inside in a way that actually helps me to follow Jesus better. I can't do that without you. And you can't do that without each other. Do we take the time, whether it's here in this place or to show up at each other's homes, to spend time? He said, the early church, they used to break bread together. Why? Because they knew that being together and following Jesus together was important. Am I willing to invest the time and the energy and the effort to truly love Jesus? To put him as my first love not just as one of the many, but as that first love, that agape love, that one that's first and foremost above and beyond anything else. Everything else pales in comparison to keep my eyes locked on him, on his ways, on his word, on his work, and be overwhelmed by him and drawn into that relationship. So I can truly say when he says, do you love me? that every time my heart would just leap out of my chest and say, yes, you know I love you. Amen.